Hello, world. Welcome to another episode of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz coming to you after a beautiful week in Las Vegas, Nevada, one of my favorite cities. And Martin Laird is your champ, Sleaze. Yeah, Martin Laird, the champion. Good to see him back in the winner's circle. Been seven years, coming off a little bit of an injury. Also had to get in this week on a sponsor's invite, which mm-hmm. props to the, to Shriners for sometimes they catch heat, these sponsors, and they give away an exemption. The guys don't play well. They get flack for it. Shout out to Shriners for getting it right and getting Martin Laird in there. Now he's won two times out there. The guy's an absolute beast in the desert. Local guy here. Makes sense. He plays well out there. But damn, how about the scoring? Yeah, he won in 2009 and then lost in the playoff to Jonathan Bird's hole in, walk-off hole That's in one. That's a tough one. Tough, but yeah, like you said, he absolutely loves this place. We see this a lot on the PJ Tour. Guys play well at certain golf courses, and it seems like they always do. Patrick Cantley was another example this week, but shout out to Martin Laird for for getting the job done. It was it was it was really cool to see, and some of the craziest scoring I've ever seen on the PJ Tour. I've, I've been out there a long time. I've never seen a seven under par cut at a thirty with a thirty six hole cut. Yeah, I mean it's wild. I feel like it's becoming more and more frequent. These things are starting to creep up. Five under, six under. Now we got a seven under. I mean, our good friend Scott Harrington out here. God bless him. Dude goes out, shoots eight under the first days. One shot back, second place. Uh, stumbles a little bit in round two, shoots seventy three. See you later. From second, all the interviews, all the media stuff to oh, I'm no longer here anymore. I mean, you go out, shoot sixty eight, sixty eight. Uh, cool. Pack your shit. I don't care where you go, but you're not playing here this weekend. Enjoy I mean, Las dude, Vegas. You're yeah, not playing dude, golf it's this an weekend. absolute beat and COVID Las Vegas, so you can't even go out and do what you normally do. But man, I mean, it, it's a there's just you give those guys good weather, like we've been saying, good weather, no wind at all the first couple days, dome golf basically, perfect greens. I mean, they're just gonna eat the place up, and it's just becoming. I mean, I think 14 under was the lead after 36. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, what's gonna win this? I thought north of 25 might win it. We got a little wind on Sunday. Yeah. A little bit on Saturday and Sunday, but um, like we said, hats off to Martin Laird for getting the job done. That was awesome. But I got to take my hat off to you because you got a special little announcement recently. Do you want to tell the people about it? Oh, are you referring to, uh, yes. This the is newest a- member of the Thunderbirds. Yeah, dude. How about that? The, the standards are going down here Jesus, in the great are they city ever. of Phoenix. I mean, these are the dudes, for those that aren't familiar it's the group. If you watch the Phoenix Open, or if you ever been to the Phoenix Open, there's these guy in blue guys in blue tunics that are walking around. They got the beads and all this stuff. They're the Thunderbirds. They're basically the reason that the Phoenix Open has turned into what it's turned into. They do a great job. They raise money for the entire city. Huge philanthropic group. But more than anything, they drive that Phoenix Open and they make it huge. They're the ones getting all the entertainment there. All the big names that play at the Bird's Nest. All the the you know 16 being fully enclosed. Now 17's turning into that. These are the guys that make it go. And yeah, man, out of nowhere last week got the call. We were actually in Vegas when yeah. I got the call. Not an ideal time to be taking that call, but yeah, dude, couldn't be more excited. Pretty, pretty cool thing for you know for me being um, a guy from here now that's been here about 10, 12 years. It's a special deal. Yep. So thanks for the shout out. Congratulations. Well, I can tell you this: you will not be doing any of those cool things you just mentioned. <laughs> You'll be moving orange parking cones oh, at dude. about four thirty a.m. So get ready for that. I know you're a big morning person. I, I, oh yeah, the morning and me, yeah. we go we go hand in hand. But I've already been told by a number of them, like first year, you'll be assistant to the assistant parking guy. You'll mm-hmm. be moving cones. So if you're coming in here and you're drunk with thirty three of your friends, need to know where to park. I'll probably be the guy that's helping you out uh, getting where you need to be so and the good news is you probably got plenty of those beads at home i got a lot of i'm ready i'm ready for mardi gras too in case that breaks out out there all right well our guest this week chris como who works with bryson dechambeau on his golf swing some interesting comments made about bryson from one matthew fitzpatrick this week yeah dude perfect timing to have this interview which i thought was awesome we're gonna get to it in a minute but matthew fitzpatrick we do a lot of talking with chris about bryson obviously Matthew Fitzpatrick came out this week, stirred the pot a little bit. I'll paraphrase his quote, basically. He basically said, hitting it far isn't a skill, and what Bryson's doing is making a mockery of the game. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much paraphrasing exactly what he said. And uh, He basically I'll, went on to say that he could get with a biomechanist, gain yeah. 40 pounds, gain 40 yards, and do it. He goes, he goes, that's a fact. Anyone can do that. Well, Matthew, uh, if you're listening... Why don't you do that? <laughs> I, I felt like he was making an argument against himself. Yeah. He was saying, this sucks. This is stupid. It makes a mockery of the game. I could do it too, but I'm just choosing not to. And I was like, dude, there's your you just you just out-argued yourself. If you can gain 40 yards and gain mm-hmm. 40 pounds and go do what he's doing and he's making the game look so easy right now, who's stopping you? That's exactly what Bryson did. Mm-hmm. He took a risk. He tried to change his whole body, change his golf game, and it's working. So if you don't like it, you're more than welcome to try to do the same thing. Well, Sleaze, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to try. <laughs> I, I'm hey, just going to sit right here. That ship has sailed. Those 600 cuts uh, or 700 cuts, I want no part but of I'll it. But yeah, what, I don't get like I feel like he's I feel like there are other players that feel what Matthew Fitzpatrick is feeling. Not a lot of them have vocalized it, but you also see a lot of support. And I feel like more so from the top-end players of the world, your Rory's, your DJ's, uh, Tony Finau's been out there. Justin Thomas. They're all complimentary of what Bryson's mm-hmm. done because they're like, dude, he went out and did it. We could all try to do the same thing. And now mm-hmm. you're seeing more of them, you know, on social media showing you they're trying to ramp up their speed. Is the, the trickle down effect is happening? But I don't see how you can 
knock the guy for what he's doing. Everybody's got the same opportunity to do it. Yeah, it's very impressive. I'm guessing he probably wishes he probably would have just bit his tongue on that one. But you know what? You live and you learn. And Matthew Fitzpatrick's going to be fine. But listen, what Bryson DeChambeau is doing is absolutely incredible. And our guest this week, Chris Como, he's the man who's been there firsthand, knows all about it. I mean, Bryson came to him with this idea. And basically, as we get to in the interview, Como talks all about breaking it down and how risky it was to do what Bryson's been doing. Yeah, this was cool, man. We did it live from his house in the studio. In the that lab. You've you seen right in the lab, right where you've seen all the work going in, all the speed training. We saw all the contraptions, all the different things. And we really just got down to it, like the entire origin of how this came about. When did he come to you with this? How did you guys do it? Did you think it's going to work? I mean, we got a, we got an inside, inside look at everything that's going on with Bryson right now. And it was interesting stuff. We really get into some yeah. like deep golf talk in this. But one. but not only Bryson, like Chris, Chris Como has worked with arguably the Two biggest topics in the game of golf, two biggest people in the game of golf in the last 10 years, Tiger Woods and Bryson DeChambeau. So it's cool to break them both down, compare them both a little bit like we did with Chris. Um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. One of my favorite interviews we've done. But before we get to him, we got to get a little message from our new official sponsor, Rockform. Absolutely. This week's Golf Subpar episode is brought to you by Rockform. And Sleaze, you and I both have used this incredible speaker. It is fantastic. Yeah, use it this past weekend, dude, for the from my debut here. And I love this thing because the magnets on this thing, there's a lot of speakers that are loud and they sit in the back or the, sit in the front, whatever. You can magnet this straight to your cart no matter where you go. We drive some weird spots looking for my ball sometimes. This thing is clamped on. It is as strong as a magnet as I've ever seen on a, on a golf speaker. Yeah, the magnets are so strong they almost pried open Ches Reeves' wallet. It was incredible. <laughs> almost, not quite. But I'll tell you close. the thing I like about it the most is the battery life. Because how many times do you play, and then after the next day you're like, damn it, I forgot to charge my speaker. This thing lasts up to five rounds of golf. It's it's incredible. And it's waterproof. You get a little rowdy, you know, sling Drink the curtain spill, around the corner. Yeah, you, know you never I mean? know. You don't got to waste the cup holder on the speaker. Keep those available for what they're supposed to be available mm -hmm. for. And it's awesome. And we haven't done this yet, although I am looking forward to do this. We're going to have to find the right venue to do it. You can pair both of them together. If you want to be real loud, if you want to be that dude that's just kind of obnoxious and announcing your arrival there on the first yep. tee, you absolutely can. And, and that would sound like the inside of the Superdome, I think. That's getting amongst it. Yeah. I love it. You, you let the whole golf course know where the sleazy man and gravy are. Right. Hey, guys, I'm three over and I'm loud. That's the way I like to announce <laughs> exactly. my arrival. So if you want to get amongst it on the golf course with Rockform, go to rockform.com. Enter code subpar for 25% off. That's code subpar at rockform.com for 25% off rock form speakers and here's the man himself Chris Como. All right we are coming to you live from the Speed Lab. Our next guest has worked with some of the biggest talents in the game of golf. Tiger Woods, Bryson DeChambeau, Cold Nose temporarily I believe. Yeah it was a quick, quick sesh. Yeah. Okay all right off. you're still in the mix though. He is host of uh, Swing Expedition every Monday 7 Eastern on the Golf Channel. Chris Como thanks for being with us. Thanks Dude, for good coming. to be in the lab. Yeah. Here. Thank you. Thanks There's for coming. Let's, let's talk about this lab. Like, how did this all come about? Oh, you geez. Know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just kind of a random sort of, it, it sort of been in my mind kind of, you know, would it be cool to build a, a sort of a multi-sport biomechanics lab somewhere, right? And then I was at the Players Championship uh, with Bryson Emiliano, and, you know, I guess they canceled the tournament on, on Friday, I think it was. So I'm flying back home, and it just became apparent, like, the world was going to, like, shut down. Um, and I was, you know, I had an apartment in Dallas. I was spending a lot of time in New York. And I was like, okay, wh what am I going to do if, if things do actually shut down? Golf Channel called me. They're like, hey, we've got to put a halt on, on filming some episodes of the show. And it's just like, I suck at being bored. So I landed in Dallas, called up a realtor, and I was like, help me find a house with really big ceilings in the Dallas area because I had this idea I kind of want to put together. Um, we went around, found some places, and, and finally found this. How spot. many places did you look at before you were finally like, okay, I can work here? So... The idea was I needed roof, a roof or ceiling to be high enough to shoot a three-point shot. So we kind of put that at about 18, 20 feet. And I literally went into 10 houses and would spend maybe like 40 seconds in a house, walk in, see the living room. Nope, won't work. Walked out, found one place that maybe would work, but we would have had to shoot the basket like over the kitchen. It just would have been like bouncing. But why three? Why, like why three pointers? Because I wanted I wanted this multi sport. I just thought it'd be fun to kind of like get technology that can measure like principles of motion. Even though golf's kind of like what I do, right? But just look at other sports and look at how they use the ground to to, to create enough sort of momentum to shoot the, the basket however far, hit slap shots, etc. Because we, we we've done like hockey stuff in here, basketball. It just, it, honestly, it was just kind of like my own kind of musing curiosity to just sort of explore a bit. Um, 
And I thought it'd be fun too. Basketball's awesome, right? If I'm going to be locked down. You told us before the show, Seth Curry. Yep. Steph's brother's been in here. Jamie Ben. Yep. Y'all had all kinds of athletes. Who are some of the other people that have been through here? Bryson, uh, Emiliano Grillo. Um, I teach these kids that play at UT, Parker and Pearson Cootie, and just kind of a handful of, of random people. Yeah. So this wasn't specifically the Bryson lab, like, hey, we got to have a place to try to crank it up to 210. No, it, it was more of like, okay, what am I going to do with, with some time if we do get shut down? And then it just to me, it would just be a fun, fun place to kind of, you know, take data, research. I always love kind of going down rabbit holes or whatever. So got the place and then, um, you know, got these gasp force plates. Um, so they measure the ground reaction forces, and then we have a gears 3D motion capture system, and it, it's kind of like a, a lab that you would find at, at a university. This In my living room. This so. is where it's all. How many of these nets have you gone through with Bryson? Is this the same one? Yeah, wow. Bryson. Yeah, it's a hell of a good net. net. Good net. Good Strong net. net. The net return. Shout out. <laughs> if you can handle that, you can handle anything. Let's go back to your beginning. Like, what even got you interested in the game of golf? Like, were you? Did you want to be a professional player at some point? How did you get into teaching and all that? I, I started golf pretty late, like when I was about 16 years old, and, and uh, I'm a first-generation golfer, no one in my family plays golf. Um, and a friend of mine's uncle took me golfing, and I just kind of got the bug, and really quickly, um, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna try and get as good as it, uh, at this game as I can. In my mind, I've always been kind of like curious and analytical, so I was like, if I read every golf thing out there, that's gonna help me speed up that process of getting better, um, which in hindsight was probably, you know, a little bit um, off. <laughs> but. But uh, so I, I studied the game, would get lessons from a bunch of different teachers in the LA area. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Like what teachers did you go to to learn? Because I know that's kind of the popular way. Like you, you pick other teachers' brains. Yeah, um, so a guy named Roger Gunn was an early mentor. Um, uh, Adam Schreiber, um, Brady Riggs, all these kind of California people. And I would go into these lessons with like a fair amount of knowledge because I was reading and studying. And they're just like, like, how do you know this about like the golf swing? Kind of like this young kid just kind of random, randomly getting a lesson. So early on, I had a lot of teachers take me under their wing and just kind of mentor me. And then um, when I graduated college, I was trying to play for a little bit. I mean, like in hindsight, I wasn't even anywhere good enough, but I mean, I was an okay player, so I, I was passionate about the game. I was trying to play, dislocated my shoulder, and even when I was competing, I was teaching people that I was playing against a lot. It just kind of, they're like, hey, can you look at my swing? So it was sort of this weird dynamic where I just love coaching people. Dislocated my shoulder, and it was just, it became apparent that that was the path I was going to go down. Did you like coaching more than playing at the time, even when you were still trying to play? Did you always kind of know, like, I might like doing this when I actually like competing? In a weird way, yes. It, it just really kind of like, say, like it's, I'm a curious person. I love like, like analyzing stuff and st studying something and trying to just understand what makes something work. And I mean, I love, I love competing also, but there was just something about just really trying to figure it out that captivated me. So in some ways, I would say yes. Yeah, you started off when I met you. You're at the Golden Bear Driving Range in Plano, Texas. Yeah, working with Mike Madano. Yep. But now, I mean, you're you're the lead instructor at Dallas National. Like, did you ever envision like all? And you're working with Bryson DeChambeau and these these guys on the PJ Tour. Did you ever envision like all this happening as fast as it did? Um. So I, I definitely, when I went down the path of I'm going to be committed to teaching, my goal was to be you know one of the best coaches in the world. So so from the get go, that was like you know what I was striving to do. I traveled the country um, early on and, and worked for a bunch of different teachers, worked for David Ledbetter, worked for Hank Caney for a bit, spent time with Mac O'Grady, um, end up in Dallas to open up an academy that fell through, and that's how I end up at, at, at Golden Bear. I kind of like the Dallas area. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay out here and just do my own thing. Um, but there was a window when I moved to Dallas, and um, I was working at this academy, and I was a partner in the academy, and I made so much less than I was supposed to. And I was like 20, I don't know, six at the time or something. And, um, and I, you know, in college I had gotten good grades and I had like other paths that I was probably supposed to do because they were like, you know, would make you more money or whatever. Um, 26, 27-ish, and I think, and then, and, and I'm at this academy, I'm making no money. Like no, I made like $20,000, $19,000 that year and working like a lot of hours. Um, and I was like, like, why did I go down this path? Like, this is like, what did I do? This is the worst thing, right? So I had a point actually where I almost got out of golf instruction, where I was like, like, this is just, you know, I should have gone to law school or I should have done this or whatever. And um, I kind of gave myself, I was like, okay, no, I'm gonna spend five years and I'm gonna pretend like I have no other option, my back's against the wall and I'm gonna either make this teaching business work or, or at that point I'll reevaluate. And, um, you know, 
at that point, like after five years, I was teaching some good players. I was doing stuff with Golf Magazine. Um, so it's weird, right? In one sense, it happened way slower than I thought it would be because like, I mean, I did everything I could from when I started teaching um, to when I ended up in Dallas doing like certifications, trying to find every teacher I could work for, like really being like, I'm so committed to this. And I'm gonna do everything I can to be the best coach I can be. And then I'm in Dallas and making like no money, like don't know anybody out here. And I was like, this is the wrong decision. So in some ways it was slower than I thought it would be. But then when it started to kind of happen, it actually happened faster than I thought it would be. You spent some time at Westlake Golf Club out in LA with George Gankis, obviously, and there's been a ton of great players out there. How was that time with him? A, what was your first impression of him? And B, did you take some of his, his teaching's a little unorthodox too. Did you take some of that and, do, and put it into what you do? Well, so I've known George for a long time and I was teaching out there quite a while ago. I would say I, George has called me a bunch over the years, especially when I was going to grad school for biomechanics and kind of picking my brain about biomechanics stuff. And, you know, George is an awesome teacher and he's, um, yeah, so I mean, I've known him for a long time and, and we've kind of always sort of bounced stuff off each other. Yeah, I feel like the golf world really got to know you, obviously, when you started working with Tiger Woods. First off, take us through, how did that even come about? And take us through the first time you worked with him. Like, was there, was there nerves involved? Because I would imagine, I mean, this is Tiger Woods, like... Yeah. First off, pinch me. Like, how the hell is this happening right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of goes back to before. Like, the life lesson was, like, things happen slower than... They never happen on the timeline you think they will. They happen slower than they think you will, and they oftentimes happen faster than you think you will, they will, right? And it's like, you're kind of plodding along, I'm grinding teaching, and all of a sudden you're working with Tiger, and, like, everything changes, like, in, a, in an instant, right? So, um, yeah, uh, Nota Begay um, and myself have been friends for a while. He kind of followed my career in Dallas. He was living in Dallas at the time. And he just thought it would be a really good fit. I was starting to teach guys on tour, so I was already out there. And he introduced us. And the first meeting with him was basically, hey, let's talk golf swing. And, and going into that, I was like, ner I mean, I was so nervous, right? Like, I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to sit with Tiger Woods and talk, talk golf swing. And um, I brought my laptop with a bunch of swings, a bunch of swings of him over the years, different players, just to kind of like talk about certain principles and relationships that I think, you know, he did when he played his best and that, you know, most great ball strikers do. And nervous going into it, but once we started talking golf, it was like, to, it's just like, that's my world, right? Like I'd spent my whole life, like my whole adult life sort of studying this. So it's just like, this was, it was just very natural for me to talk about golf swing and just talk about like kind of planning for what I think, you know, he should potentially do that the, the nerves sort of melted away and I just kind of got into my own. So that's my next question. Mindset. Like, so you have Tiger Woods, arguably the greatest player that's ever played. Like, how do you pick apart his golf swing and be like, I think you should change that? Yeah, so I mean, it was at a time when he had made a variety of swing changes over his career and his body was not great. So the whole thing was like, look, in 2000, this is my kind of, you know, macro sort of bird's eye approach of it, was like, in 2000, you hit the ball arguably better than anybody's hit it. Ever. Yeah, ever, period. right? Best golf we've ever seen. So in a lot of ways, to me, that's like the gold standard of how to swing a club, especially for him specifically. Now, maybe someone else, that's not the best swing for them. But for him, it's like, dude, you have the precedent of hitting the ball better than anybody's ever hit it. Like you did it, right? So we can use this as somewhat of a, of a rough model, but your body can only do so much right now. So to me, it was like, how do we take some of the things that you did back then, you know, particularly how you like deliver the club, how you release it, you know, just the way you control the face and all that. And, and match that with a body motion that can fit what your body can do now. So that, to me, was the, the rough game plan of, of where I wanted to go. I would be like, I mean, that's like, hey, MJ, I think you should shoot your three. Elbows a little yeah, out, bro. you should probably bring, bring that a little in. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. Like, that's got to be a little intimidating, like, going in. Yeah, I mean. But, but you're obviously confident in what you do. And, and the thing is, the reality of it is, is he's made tons of swing changes. He's made tons of, like, you got to keep your elbow in for that analogy, right? But, but I would argue that the, 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 the swing changes or the places he should be was the stuff he was in 2000. So it's sort of like you're making a swing change, but the swing changes are just to get back to what you were before, and you've already shown yourself to be able to make a variety of swing changes because you know how many people has he, has he sort of worked with? And he's the guy that every teacher in the world would love the opportunity to work with. You go and you meet with him, you sit down. What do you think it was about what you said that really registered with him? And he was like, "This is the guy I want to go with." Oh, I mean, I don't know. Anything right? specific? It was like working around his injuries or something technical? Pro probably, I would guess so. And I think, I mean, in general, it's just sort of like, you know planning out sort of the logic, just kind of like formulating the logic of why I think you should go in a certain direction and then kind of like an overall arc of what that would look like. And I mean, I think that's kind of how I approach it with most people. It's like, hey, you're here. This is where I think you should get to because of the whys. And, you know, I try to make somewhat of a logical argument behind that why. And then this is the overall plan of how to get there. 
And with some people that plan resonates with, some people it doesn't, and, and you know, for whatever reason it is sort of connected with him. When you look back at like your time with him, is there anything that like kind of surprised you about Tiger? Um, as far as like maybe how he went about the game or anything like that, or just, cause I heard he's like a, he's a, he's obviously a huge student of the game mm -hmm. and he's very interested in all kinds of things. Like I'll back this up. Are you surprised like that he made as many swing changes as he did? Like when you have this year, like 2000, where you win majors by 15 and by eight, like why would you ever change anything? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's an interesting point because to me, that's one of those like 2020 hindsight type things. Right. So it's like, if you were to look at Tiger's whole career, he's probably made changes as a junior, as you know, uh, an early pro. His swing in 90, 97 is very different than swing in 2000, right? So it's like he's always had the spirit of getting better, right? And, and you could say, okay, in 2000, he got to this point where it's like, why change it? But like, you know, he, the spirit of getting better is what got him there. So I don't know how you kind of necessarily change that, right? You can always be like looking backwards and be like, oh, that was a bad decision. To me, the analogy I gave someone was like, if you have this like billionaire, you know, investor, you can cherry pick one investment that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. But if you take his overall investment strategy, you can be like, this guy's done really well, right? So Tiger, if you look at his overall investment strategy in his game, you know, if you were to say a four-year-old Tiger, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna book you at 15 majors for your career, it's like he would take that, right? So it's yeah, like- Absolutely, and is that one of the hardest challenges with guys like Tiger or Bryson now? It's like, no matter how good they get, like we, we sit here and talk about 2000, like being the pinnacle of golf, in my opinion. That's the best that's ever been played that I've at least seen. But when he's doing it, he's so driven to get better that it constantly is like, if I'm not changing or doing something to get better, then I'm, I'm going backwards or I'm staying here. And that's hard for those guys to do. It's so hard. And I think that's the, the, the thing. The best probably oftentimes have a bit of that spirit. But, but how, do you, how do you do it strategically where you sort of kind of minimize that downside, right? So to me, it is sort of like looking at like how you invest in something. And, and it's like a guy like Bryson, even with the changes we made over COVID, because yes, in hindsight, you know, Tiger probably shouldn't have changed his swing in 2000. Maybe you can make that argument. Again, I would say that overall spirit is just inherent to him and, and a lot of the greats. So you can't sort of like, you know, after the fact, be like, oh, you can't do stuff. But can you make changes, you know, at different times that, that you try to be sort of as strategic as possible that you mitigate that risk in a sense, right? And with Bryson, he's coming in saying, hey, I want to increase my club head speed. It's like, okay, cool. I want to change my body. Cool. But there's a lot of people who have changed their body and have tried to get club head speed and have lost their game. So you got to be aware of that. You got to be aware of what that risk existing and let's be very strategic of how we try to you know explore this potential upside but minimize the risk and the risk will not disappear don't like think that this is a guaranteed thing but you know you know can we be smart about it and this is where there is a lot of sort of courage for a player trying to get better and and there's you know been stories where people have lost their career and that sucks right and i think as coaches this is where it's really important for us to kind of understand that risk and, and, and come up with a game plan that again minimizes minimizes it, but but you know as a bigger thing to me like the people who do go down that path there's a lot of courage in that I think that deserves a lot of respect. Let's obviously let's get into Bryson. Obviously, you, you know you go from Tiger Woods, who's the most talked about golfer in the world. Now you go to Bryson DeChambeau, who is now the next most talked about guy in the game of golf. You've been you've been working with him for a while. He obviously went through this whole body change. Was it his idea or was it a, like a as y'all, as a team, did y'all come up with this? Hey, let's let's put on these pounds. Let's try to get more speed. Or was this strictly up to Bryson, and y'all just had to kind of deal with it? I mean, it's always their idea at the end of the day. I mean, but yeah, it, it, Bryson's the type of person like, how do I get better? How do I get better? Yeah. Right? Um, and that he's got a trainer in in Colorado named Greg Roscoff, and you know, it, it, just through talks, they kind of talked about that plan. You know, I, I would bounce stuff off of him too, but it's like, it was fundamentally driven by his desire of how do I get stronger to hit it farther? And, and this was the path that, you know, I would say him and Greg came up with, and then I was kind of like, uh, you know, a person to bounce stuff off of. Were you wor like worried at all about this? Or were you like, yeah, what was your first reaction? He's like, I'm gonna gain 35 pounds. I'm gonna start trying to get 200 mile an hour ball speed. Were you like, uh, that seems drastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a little nervous. A <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he got it. I mean, like you said, people make changes and it fails sometimes. And here's a guy that's a world class player that's won on the PGA Tour, and he's like, I'm going to totally change everything I do right now. Yeah, and it's got to be a tough like it, it, as part of his team. You got to be like, oh boy, it I don't is. Know. Yeah, and that's 100. percent That was my whole thing. It's like, okay, you you need to understand what the risk is, but. I'm not saying don't do it. Then it wouldn't matter. You're just like you're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> he strikes me as the kind of guy who thinks something's gonna work, but there's no convincing him otherwise. 
So yeah, but exercise and futility for sure. But to me, it's like, okay, be smart about this. You're going to do this. I kind of know you're going to do it. And I'm not even saying like you shouldn't do it. Do it. Like, like chase it. Like I, I think it's cool when people chase that sort of that, 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 that vision they have, that, 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 that the highest level that they kind of see themselves being. It's like, okay, awesome. Do it smartly. Measure stuff along the way. Kind of know the baseline of your swing where you're starting from. Because like you said, he was already a great player. Um, so that way, if you kind of go down a path that doesn't fit you, you have a better chance of unraveling that and kind of getting back to that previous baseline that you know worked at some capacity, right? So to me, like the analogy would be leaving breadcrumbs in the forest, um, so that way you know you don't end up getting lost in kind of the labyrinth of, of making these changes. Let me ask you this before you, you ask your next question. Do you think if like you have all this technology, all this 3D and everything, say 20 years, 30 years before this stuff happened, do you think Bryson could change his body and be successful without technology? Yes, 100%. I just think the possibility of going down a path that didn't fit him and then not ha knowing how to get out of that would be higher. So, I, I mean, like, look, if he went down the path he went down right now, hypothetically, years before in this technology, it would have worked out. But what is the chances of him going down the correct path and then also what are the chances of him going down the wrong path? I think that probability changes somewhat without having ways to kind of measure what you're doing along the way. When he first came out in this Bryson 2.0, whatever you want to call it, right after COVID, the media got onto it. They're like, there's a lot of naysayers. Oh, you can't do this. This won't work. You can't swing that hard and hit it on the planet. It's not going to work. Obviously, now it's worked. He just won the US Open by six shots. Are you, are you shocked at all that how quickly it has worked to make like a transformation that, that drastic and have it work out like really right off the bat? Like there wasn't much feeling out process where he was kind of struggling with that. I feel like he's been all systems go since, since COVID, really. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think the expectation would, would have been for it to not have worked out that quickly. Both, both the speed gains and then also being able to control. Control and like your iron distance has changed. There's so many different things that change. It's not just like, hey, my body's bigger. It's like every, every club, every shot now looks different than it did for so long. So 100%. Like there's a lot of feeling out process there, but not for him really. I mean, there was, but... It has been quite a bit, and like you just said, like, you know, getting your yardages right, like all that stuff is changing, just like the, the, like being able to score, right? So you could, you could in theory sort of get the club at speed and say, okay, I'm figuring out ways to control it really well, um, but not score well because you don't know your yardages anymore or just like the whole kind of anatomy of your game has changed a bit, right? Um, but this, I think, is a testimony to his work ethic. I mean, he spends so much time practicing trying to figure stuff out that I think all those things that go into scoring, getting the yardages, kind of knowing your miss, things like that, he was able to sort of expedite that whole, that whole process because of just the sheer amount of time and effort he's put into it. Yeah, and if you look back at like your time with Tiger and your time with Bryson, can you compare those two at all? Do they have any similarities or anything? Other than being great players, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in terms of like, you know, Tiger obviously is, is notorious, is, is known for like his work ethic. Um, but, you know, when I was working with him, he just didn't have, the, his body didn't have the capacity to like hit a ton of balls, right? So there's, it was very strategic with how much time he could spend hitting balls uh, just because of the back and all that. Bryson has a work ethic that I would imagine Tiger had in his prime. So there's that sort of comparison. Um, and then, um, you know, just, that, that overall curiosity, they're both very curious people. They both like love trying to understand the game, their own swing, just really kind of going deep into like thought of like what, what makes this all work. So very, both very smart and curious. And then going back to that other thing, like kind of willing to take risk, right? They had this sort of this vision, this goal in their mind and you know, they're willing to sort of say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take the risk to kind of achieve that because at the end of the day, there's a cost of doing nothing also, right? You do nothing. There's how many people who have, have not ever tried to get better and lost their tour card? So it's like we hear the horror stories of... Hi, <laughs> right here. I lost my mini tour card too. You tried, you One were, of the worst days of my life. I lost my chicken card. <laughs> right? But it's like, so it's like, you know, people cherry pick the stories of like a guy made swing changes, lost his card. There's also people who didn't make swing changes and we're kind of like stagnant and lost our card. So it's sort of like, you know, you got to sort of look at both it's sides like of it. It's a double-edged sword a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But all the attention is around Bryson and how far he's hitting and doing all the things. He just won the US Open. He was only seventh in the field in driving distance. Do you think the other aspects of Bryson's game are getting overlooked right now? Because he's he's unbelievable, especially at wing. Yeah, and, and, and so Jordan, many different categories. We sat down with Jordan Spieth and he said yeah. the same thing. He's like, you know, Bryson gets talked about all his distance. 
This guy is a world-class putter as well. He's top 10 in putting. Like, it just doesn't get talked about enough. Unbelievable. All his he was second at the U.S. Open like, in scrambling. Yeah. It's like everyone talks about his driving. I was like, dude, he was seventh that week, and he won by six. So you, what, what aspects of his game do you think get overlooked the most? 100%. So he had his round on Saturday where he didn't hit it great. And, you know, he came off, but he, he stayed in there. Like, chipped it awesome, got up and down, just, just over and over and over again, right? So, that, like, that to me is, like, that mental tenacity, just hanging in, hanging in. He got off the course, and, I, and you know, Bryson loves, like, working on trying to control the ball. Like, he wants to be, like, you know, one of the best ball strikers of all time, right? Um, he got off the course, and I looked at him. I was like, that's the round that wins the U.S. Open. That right there, that's the round of a champion. That round where you're just hanging in there, not, don't have your best stuff, but you're not letting it get away from you. That's the one that wins, it, wins this tournament. And then we went to the range and hit balls you know, that night and figured some stuff out. Came out Sunday, hit awesome. I was just about to ask you about that. Under the lights, alone, people saw him working out there. He could have worked till midnight. What was that session like? What were you guys doing the night before the final round? I actually joked with him on the range. I was like, you, you really want to get people talking? Let's just pull an all-nighter. Just like stay here all night, playing the same clothes tomorrow. Just like, <laughs> they'll freak out. Like live from the like, he's still there. He's yeah. the only guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we just, you know, I was, I was watching inside the whatever, the clubhouse, not the, the tent area, and, and you know, I was, I, I was watching the whole round. I would actually film some swings on my phone, and, you know, he was struggling out there, so, like, there's some stuff that I saw, and we went to the range, talked about it, and, you know, he's just the type of person where he's like, I'm, I'm just not going to go to bed unless I feel like I have a sense of what I was doing and how to correct it, so we stayed out there, and, you know, we figured some stuff out. He felt good. He's like, all right, I feel good, and then at that point, we, we got out That's, of there. I was going to ask that because... Every time you turn on the TV, if there's a live from it, a major or anything, you see Bryson on the range, smashing drivers, and you see him at the U.S. Open. It's pitch dark. He's hitting balls. Does this guy sleep at all? I know. It's tough. It's crazy it's to crazy. me. Like, Are you on call 24-7? might get a call at 3 a.m. Hey, dude. Woke up. I'm not feeling something. right. Yeah. I mean, he may, check me out. He may think so. I don't answer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, I never see this guy. Like, he never. He's always at the golf course. Yeah. He's, he he's, works, man. He's committed to being. To being That's why I'm sitting in this chair. I didn't exactly. work. And I don't have talent, but other than, other than that, that, other than that we're there. Sure. We're that's right there. Sure. But with what he's doing right now, I'm not saying players are going to go through the same drastic change. They're going to put, I don't expect guys to put 30 pounds on and start doing the things that he's been doing because that's so much time and effort. But do you expect the strategy or the mentality of the rest of the PGA Tour to change? Seeing that Bryson is playing more aggressively, hitting more drivers, other guys like a Cam Champ or a Tony Fina, I'll be like, dude, well, I can move it out there pretty good too. Why am I not doing this as often as Bryson? Maybe, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think... Like a, a shift. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, the U.S. Open was like, you know, uh, Mark Brody, the guy at Columbia, the PhD at Columbia, um, who did the strokes gain stats. You know, we had a conversation after the U.S. Open and we we're talking. It was like, and this is my thing going, thoughts going into it. it you know, if you take a course where the fairways are super wide, it becomes obvious that you should hit driver every hole, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, take the other extreme. If you were to take a course where the fairway was like one yard ride, wide or extreme, if there was no fairway, you would also hit driver on every hole, right? So, so the fairways at Wingfoot were actually, in a sense, too narrow to bring in sort of the shorter, straighter hitters because they were so narrow that no one's going to hit a lot of fairways that it just became correct to like hit driver as far as you can. You put it out there. If you're in the rough, you still have um, like a wedge into the green or a short iron into the green. And, you know, the firmer the greens get, the more the ball's going to stop from from the angle of descent as opposed to spin, right? So like the extreme example I was trying to explain this is like take a, a green that's made of cement. If I drop it vertically, it's going to bounce, 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 and then settle, right? Or if I have a, a ball coming in at a sort of a lower angle of descent with like a ton of spin, it's still going to skip, right? So as the greens get firmer, actually that angle of descent is a bigger um, you know, effect of like how the ball will stop. So it's like Bryson, even if you smash it down there, and you can't spin out of the roughs, so you're just sort of hacking it out. Because you're hitting a shorter iron in, you can actually have a better chance of stopping it than even someone from farther back who's producing more spin. Yeah, we did the Sirius XM coverage during the US Open, and we talked about it all week. I'm like, these fairways are on average 24 yards wide. Like, yeah, was everyone's like, missing. Wasn't it 40-something percent field average? 40% percent was the field average. I mean, I'm like, so nobody's hitting So if you, if you miss a fairway, would you rather be 200 yards away or 150? I mean, there's everyone's missing them, so. Exactly. And first off, he put on a clinic that week. 100%. And this is where, you know, at, you know, going back to, like, people kind of, like, adjusting, Look, we're trying to think about things like this is one of the things where it's like in my mind is like, dude, sends the right strategy. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are saying, OK, it's more but a premium on fairway. And I just I don't think it matters. What if the fairways were say they were 10 yards wider on average at Wingfoot and now that the, the top yeah, guys are hitting 60 yeah. something percent without a change of strategy at all? Or do you think yeah. you just still yeah. ship? Yeah, there's probably a sweet spot of how wide the fairway yeah. should be that would bring more people into into play, more, more, more of the field into play. So obviously when you when you 
think about the transformation Bryson made. I, in my mind, it wasn't built for a U.S. Open. It's more built for Augusta National, which we had Jordan Spieth on our show, and he said basically the Masters is Bryson's to lose with what he's doing. What are your thoughts about Bryson with back-to-back majors coming up at Augusta National? I mean, yeah. I mean, Augusta National likes likes people uh, who hit it far. Um, but but I mean, you still got to. I mean, Augusta's you got to do everything so well out there. So I, I mean, sure, like hitting it far is going to be an advantage. I think historically that's probably shown to be the case. But look, you know, not, it hasn't been always bombers that have won out there. You have to do everything else really, really well. But uh, I mean, it's so cool to hear a guy like Jordan Spieth, who's absolutely dominated around Augusta. He was like taking us through some of the holes, like. He's like, dude, the fairways become so wide where this guy can hit it. Like, I mean, he's obviously he's the favorite going into Augusta. Do you think he should be? I mean, people are going to have their conjecture and the odds will be set and all that. And that's cool. Bryson, one shot at a time. I'm, I'm staying I'm stay in the moment. You still right? got to get the ball in the hole. Like just you just bet him at 10 to 1. <laughs> just give me a blink. Give, just wink. If, uh, if, if they're setting the odds, they probably, they, they probably, they're pretty good at what they Let do. Let me ask you this, though, because I, I met Bryson when he was at SMU. I went to SMU, and Josh Gregory had me come out, and I played around with Bryson at Royal Oaks. And he's got the one-length clubs and all this. And I was huge. I was like, dude, everything you do is awesome. Like, I, you're your own dude. Everything's great. But I will never agree with having a 60-degree wedge that's the length of a six-iron. Like, you can't be an elite short-game guy. Did you ever, ever have concerns about that, or was this just, you know what, this works for him? You know, I mean, I think short game is limited. Wink was short game was awesome, right? Was. And, yeah. and his wedges are getting better, and, and, and you know, now that – now that he's kind of got this distance, we've actually focused a lot of the time on how to get the short irons better because you're just going to have more of them. You know, hitting it farther, you're going to have a higher frequency of, of shorter clubs in, and they've gone a lot better. Um, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with uh, his longtime coach, Mike Shy, who they, they came up with the whole single link stuff a while ago, and he's like, I don't know why people such make, make such a big deal about, um, you know, the wedges being, you know, the, the same length. He's like, just choke up on it. <laughs> It's like, okay, I think that's a really, really valid point. So, because so to, I, I, to me, I was unbiased. I was like, you know, whatever. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I just want him to, like, you know, play great, you know, through the bag or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, one, you can choke up on it. And two, now that he's been allocating more time in that direction, it's definitely on, on the right trajectory with where it's going. Yeah, he's doing okay. Yeah, it's working out, whatever you guys are doing. But speaking of what are you doing, what do you guys do differently, if anything, leading up to Augusta? I mean, it's a pretty unique golf course, different. Do you guys tweak your, your prep like compared to what you did for Wingfoot? Mm, or is it more the same? Um, probably just this, more the same. Just kind of really going through his whole stuff to, to where he feels like his swing is in a place where he can control the ball. Um, he, you know, he does a lot of um, testing always with his equipment, just trying to get it just right in, in the right spot. Um, so I wouldn't say too much different in terms of prep. I think he just has his process that, that you know, again, there's a course in front of you. Um, you go through that process to prepare for the tournament. Now, maybe strategically, different courses would yield different kind of like, you know, strategies going into it. Um, you know, for the U.S. Open, again, the correct strategy was to just send it. Um, I guess it would probably be similar, I would imagine. So, you know, I... Compared to the U.S. Open, I don't think it would be that different. There's, a, hypothetically, other courses that may yield a different strategy going forward. But, you know, Augusta's, I think. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. When I made it by six, keep doing that. But I got to know, because he's been talking about it. I'm sure you've seen it. There's talk of this 48-inch driver potentially coming out. Augusta's a place that's been floated. Have you seen it, A? And B, is there, what percent chance do you give it that that thing makes its debut at Augusta? I mean, the cool thing about Bryson is that is that there's 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 no sort of like box, right? He's not the type of person where like it has to be this. The single length clubs, I think that's a great example. Like, why do the clubs have to be different lengths? So he's gonna rethink the problem and be like, is there a better solution for me? Why does the driver have to be you know 45 or whatever it is, right? Can can I play with a longer driver potentially? So there is no sort of box he's working within other than the rules of golf, um, which is great. It's like this open territory to explore things. Uh, going into Augusta with a 48. I don't know. We'll see. It's still very early on on that whole thing. Um, again, like you can't, you know, it, it's it's not just about hitting it far. And I think that's what Bryson has done great is is he hits it far, but he's got a pretty good control over his golf ball with the driver, right? And it's actually great control. So to be seen. I don't know. What kind of ball speed have you seen him get with the 48? Um, he's gotten up to uh, like he he'll be in the 200s. So, but it's good. But I've, that's uh, useful. Yeah, it's helpful. The, 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 what's, what's the threshold? We're like, all right, so let's say the 48 inch and he's hitting it 200 plus every single time. How crooked would he have to get with it before he's like, no, that's there's the point of diminishing returns here? Mm, I don't know the exact number. It's gonna be different for different courses. I don't know the exact sort of like the, the ratio of like 
um, sideways like dispersion yeah per per length um, that's something that you know we'll, we'll as we get further along with it we'll, we'll kind of talk about what that that right ratio would be it's but gonna be, if i could hit 200 it'd be no matter what yeah but, but that, that that is a thing though it, it it does become where if you hit it farther you can hit it you know up to a certain point you can hit it you know, a little wider and still be strokes gained you know um sort of a, a net gain with it also but we got to get into our emergency nine nine fun questions okay. get to know you your your people a little better okay. yeah. and we do this with everyone our number one question there's a movie made about the life of chris como you can pick any actor to play you who plays you oh geez come on mm-hmm. uh... We'll give you a few examples. This is a hard-hitting question. Listen, you don't don't even know movies. I'm like the worst to dust. Gary Woodland picked Denzel Washington for him, so obviously it doesn't have to be like. (laughs) Yeah, we're loose. We're very liberal with uh, who we'll allow. So we have. I actually have an opinion. You got one? Yeah. Yeah. Miles Teller. Oh, I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's a funny guy, like dark headed guy. The it Hollywood. We gotta get you out of the golf lab. Get you out a little bit more. Once in a while, watch a. Turn on Netflix. I'm yeah. not well rounded. We got a TV right here. We can watch some stuff. I'm I mean. not a well rounded individual. I got Chris O'Donnell. Oh, love Chris O'Donnell. You know who that is? Yeah, the, yeah. Like, I got a little something to look. Yeah, Robin. I'll go with that. Robin was uh, Chris. I want to go with the guy I don't know. Miles Teller? Sure. You'd like him. He's yeah, great. He's, he's funny. Girl, girls like him too. All right, so. cool. Okay. Why, why him though? I, you just kind of look like him to me. Oh, okay. I got that vibe. Yeah. You know? Just, I mean, I'm looking for someone that can play you. Okay. Smart. Yeah. Chris O'Donnell is actually at our Walker Cup in Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a big golfer. Loves golf. He ran, we come, and I play AT&T at Pebble Beach the next February, and I'm on the range at balls. He goes, I haven't seen you since you were passing out shots over at Royal County Down. I'm like, oh, my God, you were there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember you being there. That's awesome. Yeah. That was great. I think, you're gonna, I think you guys are going to answer all these questions for me, to be honest. That's my prediction. No, <laughs> just that one. Just that we come prepared for that one. All right, next one. Favorite all-time golf swing? Ooh. Um, From a man who knows it all. Tiger 2000. Tiger 2000? Yeah, I think so. That's, I mean, right. I mean it's just, that's the right no, answer. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was going to buzz you out if you said anything but. I, I'm, so, I'm such a pragmatist. To me, like, a good golf swing is defined by what the ball does, and, and the ball did just, like, what the best that we've ever seen it back then. You know, a lot of people kind of, like, romanticize, like, say, Hogan or whatever, which obviously hit it awesome. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, Tiger, just from a, a practical perspective, hit the ball so high that it's like you can stop the ball on firm greens, major championship setups. Like his game was just designed to wear out a major championship setup. So to me, just the, the utility of, of his ball flight and all that, like there's, that, that, that's the gold standard. Yeah, I mean, 2000 is the best in mm-hmm. damn near every statistical category that matters. Yeah. So yeah, that one works. All right, number three. Do you think Tiger Woods has underachieved in his career? I mean, look. It, this I is love a, this question. This is such a 2020 hindsight sort of thing. The guy at every point in his career did everything he could to get better at the game. And in hindsight, you could say maybe cherry pick one decision or whatever and be like, oh, that maybe wouldn't have been the best or whatever. I, I, I would not call it underachieving. I would call it, you know, this is one of those things where, yes, if you were to cherry pick and say, don't change your swing from 2000, does he win more majors? Maybe so. But that's such a sort of a, a, a silly sort of 2020 hindsight sort of perspective. In my you mind. just call my I, question silly. Not the question. <laughs> no, no, no. It's actually but, true. <laughs> but just like at his decision points, he was doing what got him to that place. So, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't call it underachieving. I would just say, you know, a little bit of a kind of life variance, I guess. Yeah, and there's some variables thrown into the mix there. I'm going to ask, this one's completely unrelated, but I'm just looking around right here. Looks like ultimately possibly the best man cave situation ever set up in here. What's the next thing you add in here? Where do you go from here? Ooh, we just put the TV up. So maybe, maybe kind of like finish it out a little bit. I think I'd like maybe a new weight set would be kind of cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's does he do like pinky curls with those, Bryson? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's my setup. That is, yeah. Um, I saw a cool eyeball on that. <laughs> probably hop on that afterwards. Move some real weight. I don't know any suggestions. Maybe I think just kind of finishing it out right now. Maybe like a mural on the wall of Bryson's <laughs> head on a bull. <laughs> Taking the bull by the horns. That'd be Taking good. Think about that. <laughs> All right. I, like, I, like, I like the mural right idea. Big mural. I, I don't know what the mural would be, but I like some kind of weird mural thing in here would be, would be cool. Be Staying on the topic of Bryson, other than golf, does he do anything for fun? Um, I mean, he re- obviously loves working out. Um, he, he, no, he, fun. No, uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> he, he plays Fortnite. He's really good at Fortnite. Oh I think. yeah, see him on the. He's super into on that. Twitch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's his kind of like escape. That's his reprieve from like just the intensity of of, of his work. I got him to take a shot with me one time. 
Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. nice. He was probably hungover for a week. <laughs> yeah, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Get it out. All right, next question. If you could have the opportunity to work with one non-golf athlete who you haven't previously worked with, who would you want to work with? Non-golf. Non-golf. So an athlete. You worked with, you worked with um, Madonna. Seth Curry. Madonna. Madonna. Jamie Benn. Oh. Um, I, got, I don't even know who the answer would, it would be. Someone, If someone was like a good athlete and they really wanted to kind of like just really make a big jump in their game and were willing to kind of like just just do whatever, sort of take on that risk, that would be really fun. That was a cool, like I loved working with Madonna because he was like, man, I will change my swing, I will work on it. And he's, you know, from where he started, he got a lot better. And that was a, that was a really fun project. Um, so I don't know, like to me, I don't, I'm not really a, like, oh, I want to work with this person. It's more like, what's the attitude and the, the work ethic they're going to go into working that would make it fun for me. You, you obviously work with Mike Madonna. Have you worked with anyone who uh, has more challenges mentally than Mike Madonna. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Mike, Mike worked really hard at his game, so it depends on how you define challenges, because he worked really hard, and he got a lot better at the game, and he, he's a good player, right? His swing's beautiful. It's yeah. the, on the range, you're like, oh my God, the guy looks like a play on tour. Yeah. Um, I mean, he kind of moans, and I think that moaning sort of attitude can be a little bit inter misinterpreted, right? But he, he, he's a good competitor, even on the golf course, he's a good competitor. I, I would say, absolutely, he's not does not have the worst when it comes down to wow. a mental game. I think that's a little bit. Whoever's above him. No, I mean, look, look yeah, if, if, if you were to just sort of like video someone and being like, what is their attitude like on the golf course? Sure, he's going to be a contender for that. But I think deep down inside, when he's over a shot, he's able to settle down and focus. And I mean, he's a good golfer. It's because he was like one of the best hockey players in the world. He's used to being the best. And he comes to golf. And if every shot's not perfect, he's like, I suck. And some people, that's just like their spiel. Like, uh, yeah. right? Like, a little bit but, that, but that's yeah. different than when they're over a shot. Are they really kind of like, you know, battling sort of demons or whatever? Or are they able to kind of settle in and execute? The guy's a great competitor. So he's obviously, I think he's got that ability to execute. Yes, he's a project. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll elaborate on that when we get him on. All right, next question. If you had a kid and you couldn't teach them yourself, what teacher would you want to send them? Oh, that's a cool question. That's a cool question. Right now in golf instructor, there's so many good teachers out there. So this is a hard one to choose because there's a lot of great coaches out there that, that I would feel very comfortable with my kid working with. Um, you know, a guy like Adam Schreiber who worked with Anthony Kim for a long time. Oh, Schreiber's a legend. Yeah, Schreiber's a legend. Like I've known him, like I would drive when I was 19 years old to from LA to Palm Springs to go watch him teach. Um, I think he's got some really great stuff. So like he'd be up there. A guy like Brady Riggs um, out in California, also an unbelievable teacher. Um, Mike Adams in Florida, great, great teacher. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty good list. I mean, again, there's a lot. Well, you have lot. to pick one. I have to pick one. You can't one. just name everyone. Okay. Uh, I mean, I he guess. He a lot of interviews, dude. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, we ain't done anything like this. True. We get to the point. So, uh, you got to pick one. Okay. Brian Ziegler at Dallas National. <laughs> See, that is such a compound <laughs> answer. He's that an is, awesome teacher. This guy's awesome. Come on, if you're trying to fucking, maybe you can try to put me in a corner. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> Brian Ziegler, Dallas National, this is the plug for my, my boy right there. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that <was disappointing laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Next question. Me and you are going to be roommates. I'm be living with you for six months. How much distance could you get me? Ooh. Come on, the shortest guys on the planet. Six Height months. and distance. You, six months. Gonna, I'll do everything you say for you six do months. Do what it takes. I'm gonna do everything you say. I'm, I'm dedicating myself. Well, I'm still gonna go out at night though. That's, I, could, I can't not do that. Okay. I gotta have some fun every once in a while. How much distance can you get me? Oh, we can get you 20 yards. I might have to do it. Maybe time, bud. You're gonna have to do some things though. Are you gonna charge me rent? An extra twat. Are you gonna charge me rent? Can you cook? No. But I know people. We'll figure something out. I know people. I can order Postmates. You're in, Platinum member. We'll figure something out. Oh, oh man. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much. Man. Yeah. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, guys. Blast. Thanks for letting us in here. This yeah, place yeah. is unbelievable. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you guys got up next, man. Well, thank you. Congrats. Thank you All right. And that was the brilliant Chris Como. I mean, that was so cool to be in the lab, see where Bryson has been training and all this, and just pick his brain a little bit. Yeah, see some, hear about some of the numbers he puts up in there, what he's working on going forward. That 48-inch driver is getting a lot of attention right now. If you're a betting man, Colt, do we see the 48-inch driver? He was a little he was a little vague with that. Obviously, Bryson keeps everything close to the best. If you had to bet right now, do we see the 48-inch driver at Augusta? At in, least in play. One, at least one day. You think we see it actually yeah. in tournament competition? With him going, he's taking four weeks off right now to go home and fine-tune everything. Said he's going to hit over 2,000 drivers. Just 2,000 dogs 2, 000, to get ready. Just to tighten it all up. And the way he was acting from his interviews, he wouldn't give any numbers, but he acted like it was substantially longer than his current driver. 
I mean, if he hits it 20, 30 yards further than he is now, I mean, look out if he can keep it. As long as he can keep from hitting these massive foul balls. It's all about what's the miss look like. When you get a driver that big, I'm sure his good ones are going to go mile. I mean, they're going to be weird numbers that we've never seen before. But what's the miss look like? But on the other side of that argument, if you're going to look at a golf course, Augusta National, from trees to tree, that's basically where you got to keep it inside of. There's no rough, really, to speak of. You know, just a little bit of a first cut there. That's the place. So if the miss isn't massive, I wouldn't be at all shocked to see that thing come out of Augusta. I'd still put it less than 50-50 in my mind, okay. but damn, he's still crazy enough oh. to do it. And it's hard to argue with what he's doing right now, dude. He's like, he's hit, he was in it 350-plus all week yeah. in Las Vegas and hitting it straight. So You've bet on worse things than 50-50. No, I've bet on way worse stuff yeah. than that. But one thing I wanted to get into Como, which we didn't have time to, I mean, he's a good-looking, young, single man. Like, what happens when you bring a bird back to the place and... <laughs> Hey, you uh, want to come hello, back this to the is my crib? living room. Want to come uh, back to the crib? You want to hit a few? Yeah. You got a lot of cameras around, though. If you're going to look oh. on the bright side, you know what I mean? Better than Mark Blackburn's setup when he was bringing them back to the cart barn. Good point. You know what I mean? At least this is an actual house in there. You know? Man, but I, speaking of Blackburn, talking with him and Chris Como were two of my favorite interviews because I feel like you, you learn so much from these guys. They're both brilliant guys. But Chris Como, I mean, the time he spent with Tiger and now Bryson, yeah. it's just so cool to see the work he's done. How about his story, too? Going from a guy that was making no money, thinking about quitting you know, the golf mm -hmm. industry because he literally couldn't get by, to now all of a sudden you fast forward, he's worked with the two biggest names, or two most talked about names in golf of the last probably decade at least, Tiger Woods and Bryson DeChambeau. What he's made out of himself from a guy that was struggling to get by in the golf industry to now one of the preeminent you know, instructors in the world. Like, that's a pretty pretty wild story, too. Yeah, it was awesome to sit down with him. And and I know you guys love our gambling picks. We're working on which kind of bet we want this year. We're going to get back into it starting at the Masters in November. So be thinking. Maybe you could tweet us. Let yeah, us let know. us know. Let us know what you think we should put on the line this year. Yeah, we're looking for a format. How should it work? Last year we did one favorite, one middle guy, and then yeah. two long shots. If you, did think, if you can think of a better format or something like that, feel free to fire it to our subpar Instagram or Twitter, and also what should be on the line. Because last mm -hmm. year we had a good bet that will be paid off, but it takes so long for us to settle. Maybe we settle up more frequently this time going forward, but the golf yeah. gambling picks will be back soon. Yeah, that's at golf underscore subpar. Let us know what you think. Let's go ahead and tease this next guest a little yeah, bit. Man. This, is, this is a big one. I think, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the first times our guy, Tony Romo, has sat down with anyone for this long and and just opened up to us. Yeah, you can peel off the internet, go in there, look for whatever you want. Tony's not a guy that sits down and does a whole lot of sit-down interviews with anybody. So he's a hard man to get a hold of. Uh, luckily, we got him, and he'll be dropping next week. And uh, we get into a lot of golf, a lot of football, a lot of everything. But what a trip to Dallas. This is, we're only on two or three right now. One more coming next week. Number nine will be yep. in the building. We're not going to tell you too much. You have to stay tuned. That's going to do it for this week's Golf Subpar. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>